work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching show postmortem. Almost, I got it almost right. A but... priestly postmortem. Oh, this is an extreme unction of a podcast yeah, right my here. My priestly husband, James Ager, not so priestly. Hey, no pillow talk here. That's it's only a <laughs> private name that you give to me. Um, I don't. Uh, would priests be coaches of colleagues? Would middle school basketball? This is fifth grade basketball, actually, right? Yeah, that is. I'm wearing a Glory Days coaching t-shirt right now yeah. from uh, Collingswood Youth Basketball League, where I got in trouble with the administration, and they changed the rules of how Little League basketball was played because I was too good at exploiting competitive advantages in the second and third grade league. Yeah, those were the days. <laughs> it was the peak of your coaching career. I was peaking. It's true. <laughs> in, in Collingswood Little League basketball. <laughs> I yeah, I trusted the process and it was it was perfect. Oh, even you had a process. That's that's I always have a process, stuff. baby. Do you trust the process? Do you think it's do you think the process is the process? I trust my process. Okay. Um the process here. Welcome to the 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 podcast that I already introduced. That's right. Um, Still it's here. The time Still going when I get to examine my husband's processes mm. for sermon writing See and what did there. what's going on in his brain um and we examine what went on this past sunday what the sermon was about what mm-hmm. has been going on in your head and heart and let's dive in okay to call it story monday <laughs> you're smiling like you have di- did i forget something no it's it's we're golden okay <laughs> reading the facial expressions here we'll we'll get to youtube someday um yeah, we were Facebook back. Live. We were back in the in the pews again, and it it still feels good. Our kids have not learned, or they don't remember that you're not supposed to like talk and make snarky top comments during announcements. So I did have like some glares at my teenagers. It is um, really funny, and context wise, they're just used to watching on TV at home on Sunday morning, and so there's a constant <sighs> running dialogue between what's said yeah, on the screen like and the, on the couch. What is it? Couch mystery? versus pew. Mystery, mystery Science, Science Theater yeah. 3000. That is how uh, Jesse Clara, not my, Clara's like just cuddling or drawing with me. She's right. not part of this at all, but uh-huh. Jesse, Mike, and Josiah are all doing running commentary, and they were doing that today. Unfortunately, with masks, I, I couldn't tell what they were actually saying, but I could tell that they were talking to each other, and I apologize to Eric Mitchell because they It's were always the preacher's kids. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, oh my goodness, you are not good preacher's kids. We've become them. Right. Um, we are the so other. I will I will scold them for next time, but they did get quiet during your sermon for the most part. Uh Aside from a few facial expressions from one of them that I, that I saw. Oh, I'm intrigued. Um, but yeah, I think maybe part of it was like you started with a narrative about um, our move to this area from Lubbock. And you mm-hmm. kind of started setting the stage for uh, what you have been looking at as you look at Collingswood, as you think about Collingswood. And that seems to be um, the subject of this Call It Stormy Monday. You're approaching and looking at 
the new landscape that we kind of live in. Yes. So with a sermon like this, sometimes, or I always like to have different sorts of sermon introductions. And this was one where there wasn't a whole lot of like, you know, here's a, here's this totally unrelated story that people are going to be wondering, why is he even talking about this? But trying to go more directly to the heart of the sermon, we moved from a more Christianized region years ago to a much less and post-Christian one here and have been reflecting on if we were living in an area where social capital was to be gained for you to be a member or connected with the local church, it is the opposite in this area. But then the new layer on top of that is that it seems that that sort of sentiment is increasing and secularities are accelerating. So the whole sermon was asking the question, how are we aligning? Because I think there is a lot of pressure on the right and on the left to be package deal secularists of one kind or another. Right. And you were kind of fleshing out that it's even more vivid or more real in today's present climate than the one where we moved moved here 10 years ago. Yeah, it's going on a decade since we've moved here. And if almost a decade ago was more of a, well, we can all get along with one another. And I'm not talking specifically me, like and I, we didn't face a lot of personal you know persecution quote unquote when, when we moved here so things have always been friendly for us with our with our friends and neighbors and i'm not talking even specifically about christianity versus not christianity but just in general collingswood and surrounding boroughs had this vibe where hey we have some different people here in this town but let's just roll up our sleeves serve the common good and we can figure out a way to get along fast forward 10 years and there's a lot less optimism that people of different stripes politically and otherwise can actually get along and um, we're broadcasting recording from our office and if we look to my right and to my left i'm even thinking of the the flag wars on the next block of stokes where there are huge trump and biden flags being flown by rival households hatfields Mm -hmm. and mccoy's on either side. So everything is becoming more viscerally felt and personal between people of different opinions. Sure. And the mayor or the commissioner elections that are happening today. Right. The different I signs. voted. I did too, just, just this morning. Um, but there is a particular, I don't know, it, it feels very different. And I think, yeah, is that the, with the context of this specific week when you were preparing the sermon, is that kind of what you were reflecting on? It was, and we'll talk about this more during Muddying in the Waters, but the whole alignment question seems to be more and more pressure-filled for people. And then the the other facet that I mentioned during the introduction of the sermon and came back to later on is that we're entering a period where reality itself is being contested more. Sure. I, I think I do need to... I don't want Liberty Collingswood to be a more politically activist church, but I think... I just need to reference what's going on politically a little bit more than I used to because that's where everybody's mind space is anyway. So I mentioned the elections of last fall where we have two political parties in our country. One of them, 75%, thinks that the election was a big lie. And I I can't recall the situation either from personal experience or Mm -hmm. reading history where, you know, in legal courtrooms – First, you have to establish the facts of the case, and then you have prosecution and defense going back and forth from there. 
we are decreasingly able to establish the facts of the case about anything. Another example that I didn't mention on Sunday, but but the vaccine wars right. that, that are going on. Yeah. Last year during pandemic, maybe it was a little too on the nose, but I read Philip Roth, New Jersey author. His last book was called Nemesis, and it was about the polio crisis earlier in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. It had had pandemic parallels to ours, but the book was set in Newark with young people. And with polio back then, there were a lot of years where all of a sudden people would catch it and die. And the fatality rate was much higher than coronavirus, problematized by the fact that there was no vaccine on the horizon for a lot of years and people didn't know how it spread. So you had all of these competing theories. Right. Was it spread from water? Was it spread from air? Was it spread from this? Was it spread from from that? But then all of a sudden, like a whole block by block, and Newark was, you know, tenements and tightly packed housing, like a whole block would be quarantined and everybody would be living in fear that, oh, no, somebody's sick at school today. Is that polio? Where does this person live? And then things spread from there. But when the polio vaccine was invented and proliferated, as far as I know, there wasn't any like, well, I'm not sure we're going to take this this vaccine. And again, we're not trying to fight culture wars about vaccines, whether then or now, as much to say... That's another instance of the basic facts of the case being contested in huge ways. Sure. Um, And jumping back a little bit, I can't think of other times in history when that has been true, like the McCarthy trials or even Salem witch trials. Like I think that but if we we jump into those time periods, the fact that we're back at one of those times when fun times (laughs) when you like the whole swaths of people just believed one certain thing against another swath of people. I think that that is common in human history. But the fact that we have felt so enlightened or so above that or beyond that, that we're we're in that moment now. And it feels like history books are being written. That's what feels odd, I think, because I think that when we as we've been um, in our memory, like our growing up memory, mm-hmm. it seems like America has been united. Yeah, but... I, th- I think that's possible. And um, I, if I could critique by McCarthy. So this is my impression. Neither Emily nor I were alive. <laughs> then, but at least as I understand it, one difference between the Red Scare McCarthyism and now is that there was agreement on both sides that communism was a problem. Mm -hmm. And it was only the McCarthyists, the the McCarthyites that that were witch hunting, to Mm -hmm. allude to the Salem witch trials, uh, overzealously. But I don't think people on the other side were saying, hey, why are we worrying about communism at all? There there is no threat. So I I wonder if there is an acceleration there. We can we can ask the Howland Wolves to certify the facts of the case. I thought about it more. feel like there's times in history but okay very very well well, so and also also (laughs) interestingly i i mentioned did did shakespeare actually write his plays there's actually some question as to whether the salem witch trials ever happened in the first place too how did what what did that research emerge yesterday yeah what i have it in the couple decades when i haven't i stopped (laughs) reading (laughs) um okay well so that that's the kind of like those parallels no and i agree that the context is true that our the fact that we're all seeing a different reality is disturbing. It's, yeah. it's um, kind of shaking. So as you looked at that or you look at the context and you look at 
um, this scripture, I guess, moving on to I met her at church, which is still an odd title. Why do we have these titles? (laughs) (laughs) How did how did this passage apply to this context? Right. So two levels here as well. The first level, and I guess I've said this in previous couple of podcasts that we've done about First Kings. I'll stop saying after a while, it's great to be back in biblical and Old Testament narrative where, you know, I like stories and you like stories. People like stories. And so it just feels so good to go back into a story and see what God might have for us there. And this is a story where often when I see First Kings 18 preached, this part is skipped over for the second part of First Kings 18 that I'll preach about this Sunday. The big showdown on Mount Carmel sure. between mm-hmm. the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. That's the big one. Versus Elijah. That's the main event. That's the Royal Rumble. And this is just kind of the setup-y part. But I'm so glad, not to pat myself on the back, but whoever invented the text divisions for this particular sermon series, I think was wise to include <laughs> the first part of First Eight Kings as its own segment because... We meet this character, Obadiah, and I did have to go back and double check. This that is, wasn't the Obadiah. Right. Of it's the... definitely not the, the prophet, the minor prophet Obadiah. There are a few different Obis here and there in, in the Old Testament. This we is a unique. We named one of our kids Obi. And this, and this thing, one. That, that was the Garfield character too, right? Was no, that, that Obi? was O-P? No, Obi was a dog. Obi, really? I yeah. feel like Micah could be an Obi. Too, too close to a Star Wars reference there for for your taste. I wouldn't I'm sure. know. So <laughs> that, that is true. Our this is our son Darth, and, and you would have no idea that actually could have happened. So, so Mr. Obadiah, the non-famous Obadiah, right. Other Obadiah. That's right. Other Obadiah is gatekeeping. So Elijah is trying to get Obadiah to set up a meetup between him and the king of Israel, Ahab. But there's this fascinating little character study where it seems intentional on the part of the author that Obadiah is portrayed neutrally, not negatively, yet still playing both sides. He calls Elijah his lord, but then Elijah turns around and calls Ahab Obadiah's lord. And on one hand, he's Obadiah master over Ahab's household. So like a high court official in royal Israel in the monarchy, but then on the side, he's doing things like saving a hundred prophets from true prophets of God sure. from from the evil Ahab. So it seems like he's sort of back and forth, which the commentaries that I used, and I just went in the same direction, I said, if Elijah's on one side and Ahab is on the other side, Obadiah is in the middle. And in the passage to come, Elijah criticizes the prophets of Baal for limping around on both sides. Perhaps Obadiah is doing the same thing. And so it was an interpretive question on my part. Is that wavering of Obadiah enough to build a sermon around? And for my own part, I decided, sure. Right. I I thought that was an interesting... You drew interesting parallels between Ahab, Obadiah, and Elijah, like what they're representing here for our cultural moment. But I, I... I was kind of wondering because I often find that you or me, we place ourselves in the Obadiah role kind of intentionally along some of the some of the sides that you were later parsing out political sides that we um, try to stay on the middle ground for the sake of saying that the 
gospel is bigger. Right. I I guess maybe that's where um I you're putting the gospel at Elijah mm-hmm. and you're putting the secular right and left at Ahab. Is that is that what's happening? Yeah, I think it is. I think that's a I think that's a perceptive way of of talking about it. And yeah, just trying to build out a Christian worldview. And I mentioned this, I think, during the beginning of the sermon, that like a robust expression of Christianity simply does not fit on the secular right or the secular left. And the both sides that Obadiah is playing, and you know, the story itself doesn't tease it out in these terms or say in these terms, but Obadiah is the back and forth in a co-opted way from either side. And I think Christians were being called in this moment to be neither side, but in a way that loves and serves everybody, which is complex. And I'm still trying to wrap my own mind around how can we do that and equip our people Mm -hmm. in healthy and life-giving ways to the glory of God and fidelity with the scriptures and to the service of all people. Tricky. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel tricky. It does like part of the challenge to me is that some of these things that we're saying are, um, are issues of like the as you're saying it the secular left or secular right like there are pieces of truth in what those sides are advocating for Mm -hmm. that um it gets tricky to just cast them as ahab i think uh yeah so we had a conversation on sunday night in in the ahab in the ahab household in the anger household about so one of our kids was asking if i was drawing an equivalency between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter about about signs. And I thought that was a perceptive point. We're on the record in this podcast saying, yeah, the fine print of Black Lives Matter is an organization we would have some potential disagreements with, but as an overall sentiment that needs to be heard at this time and in this place, yes, Black Lives Matter because they historically and in the present are more at risk. And so... And this is part of the challenge of being a church, I think, in the late modern period where we want to give freedom of conscience. We want to articulate that you can be a robust follower of Jesus if you identify as a Republican or as a Democrat. But then, on the other hand, the Bible has things to say about how we think about something like racial justice. Right, right. So I think, I yeah, I just find that hard to wrap my head around a little bit. Um, so that's not, that was a challenge that you were working out yourself. Yeah, and I think this is a challenge that's not only going to be for this sermon or for next sermon, but I think it's going to be a challenge of the church in general and for Liberty Collingswood in the coming phases of, of the church's life as our world becomes more complicated. Right, and that does move to muddy in the waters. We've been kind of talking this way mm-hmm. already, but... Um, this was the difficulty in constructing the sermon to, to address these kind of complexities. Yeah. There were, were there other difficulties that you found? Well, just to go along those same lines for, for just a moment more, here, here's another example of, at least in my opinion, robust Christian expression not necessarily fitting paradigms that are increasingly calcifying in today's culture. I was at the Philadelphia Museum of Art yesterday. Yeah, I was jealous. So it was great. I did get invited, but you did get invited, so <laughs> so I've been able to move back to taking taking Mondays off, and just this weekend, a and giant the Museum renovation. of Art used to be closed on Monday, but they changed their schedule just for you. That is absolutely true. I'm the center of the universe, after all. So this weekend, a huge renovation project, 
multi, multi, multi million, hundreds of million, maybe billions, I forget, uh, renovations went into the Museum of Art where there were newly giantly renovated reopened common spaces that are gorgeous. It was Frank Gehry, who's 92, so it was billed as Gehry mm-hmm. and Associates. I, I do wonder <laughs> how much Associate versus Gehry was working on yeah. working on these projects. But great, beautiful common spaces that I think makes the Philadelphia Museum all the more attractive to me. But also two new galleries, multi-room galleries that just were not in the previous iteration of the floor plan for the Museum of Art. One was very recent contemporary art, and then another was the quote-unquote American wing, where American art was represented, some new pieces were, were brought in, and I don't know, Em, if you read the, the Inquirer article that, that I sent. So, uh, but our readers probably didn't. Sure, so, so, Listeners. so the writer of the Inquirer talking about this this new exhibit said that this new exhibit isn't going to get as much headlines as the common spaces that are gorgeous and vaulted, but it presents the American story in a new, just, and inclusive way. And so mm-hmm. if you would have gone to early American art in any American museum, say, 30 or 40 years ago, there would have been much less emphasis on things like slavery, on displacement and exploitation of Native Americans, which were front and center in this presentation of right. America. the early American story. And so there there were a lot of aspects of what they were saying that I think, yeah, this, this is awesome. And there's a lot of uh, improved and contextualized storytelling in some of these things. But then there were other parts of the new presentation where I just felt this hard left secularism that as a Christian, I'm, I'm not as fully on board with. Most striking example that Christianity was seen in this exhibit, at least in my opinion, feel free to go to uh, the museum and, and let me know your thoughts. Uh, Christianity was clearly one of the bad guys sure. in the early American story. And so as an Orthodox Christian in 2021, how do you navigate an exhibit like that? And then at a larger level again, and I always want to be careful as a preacher that I'm not superimposing my own experience on everybody else's experience. So like right. I'm actually just preaching to my issues, but nobody else's. I, I I do sense that there is an increasing alignment fatigue that that people can be feeling where where everything is so charged in terms of what you do, what you buy, what you like, how you comport yourself on social media. And maybe there's some space for the church uh, to be a haven for people that are fatigued by all that alignment pressure. Sure. That's that's an interesting uh, aspiration to be a haven from that because sometimes church can feel like it's, it's explicitly not that. <laughs> that's true. Sometimes it's the opposite. And I think, yeah, this is an idea that I'm weighing. So I, I try to be honest when I get things from other sources. There, we do have bar band cover tunes every week here mm-hmm. in the podcast. But church as a place that's a haven from alignment fatigue is something that as far as I know, I haven't gotten from other sources. And so it's a, it's a new idea that I'm trying on myself that as we think about what the mission of the church can be in a context or set of contexts like this, maybe haven from alignment fatigue is a new aspect of, of the mission of the church, which I think only works if it's a matter of grace. I'm just laughing because Haven of Alignment Fatigue. <laughs> Y'all have to workshop that title. 
<laughs> I mean, it's more describing. Mean, it is descriptive. I will give you that entirely. And I, I, if I, it's something that like makes you kind of chew on it. Uh, I, I feel like it's much better than these podcast titles. Money and glory. If anybody needs an alignment Bar- post mortem, like, what does bar band cover tunes even mean? But um, alignment. But it's it's gone from my head already. Alignment of no wait. Haven. Haven for alignment <laughs> fatigue. Alignment fatigue. I think that's the that's the one. Okay. <laughs> that's the phrase. Well, no, no, will... that's the phrase that that needs workshopped. Okay. Alignment fatigue. Alignment fatigue. Yeah. Say that five times fast. I'm I'm nothing if not dogged, so I'll I'll keep thinking. <laughs> um, but I yeah I would find that a respite. I mean I feel like I've um, turned off social media for the for really the most part period, and that has been healthy for me. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like it is good to be in a place where you feel um, like you can share differing opinions and and it be, it be okay. Like back to the, I think the analogy that you used, college where you could sit around and, and kind of talk about differences yeah. and just be intrigued by them rather than putting someone in a box because they had specific leanings. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think cancel culture is a phrase that's probably being overused at this point or used in, in unsubtle ways. But I, I do see on the right and on the left that like back and forth dialogue, like tell me your opinion is is harder than than it used to be. Whether the controversy right now with the with the Golden Globes, which uh, uh, and we're going to have to give back all of our Golden Globe awards from 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 this podcast and, and then what's going on in the House of Representatives with, with Liz, Liz Cheney right now uh, on the right, I right. think. Uh, diversity of opinion in either of those directions is increasingly difficult to attain. And that doesn't mean that the church is a place that in terms of leadership should be opinionless, but it should be a place where people can give honest thoughts, ask honest questions, and have meaty dialogue back and forth without fear of being shot down. And I would fully agree that the church has in this country and around the world, not always been that place. But if Jesus is truly crucified and resurrected and gives grace, I think we have the resources to grow into this direction. Sure. Um, anything fun about this sermon as you were constructing it? So it, it, it was fun. And, and you're the history major. I'm, I'm not. Oh, please but, don't tell people that. But it, but it was fun <laughs> kind of using some historical examples to try to reference the point. And this goes back to the uh, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter a, a little bit trying to use some historical examples of how secularities are not as settled as we might think that they are right now. So talking about secularity and slavery, prohibition, queer theory, feminism, abortion, and environmentalism. I just kind of ran the table right, there. Right, just to make about everyone all these mad. Things. But yeah, with, within any of those areas of thought, there are both disagreements big ones within within that area of thought. And so it, it's actually hard, or at least a huge oversimplification to say that like feminism says this, or environmentalism says right. this, right. or being pro-life. When there, there are thousands of voices within right. each movement. Yeah. And, and then things flip over time. So what sometimes used to be considered progressive issues are now considered conservative issues and, and vice versa. And so... And I have fielded questions like, hey, are, is, is the church just on the wrong side of history? Is the march of history against the church? 
to me, I think we need to go back and read history and see that what what seems like universally accepted truth that's going to be stable forever when we put our money on this this number in the in the roulette table uh, it's not necessarily the case right right there's some humility involved in just trying to be open to being wrong yeah and i i did try to qualify i think it made it into the sermon when i said that doesn't mean that christians are necessarily right all the time so humility needs to cut both ways but i did want to say that the beauty of seeing somebody like elijah if obadiah is fussy i don't want to do this because then that'll happen i want to do this because then that'll happen there there's a fussy verbosity to verboseness verbosity uh, lots of words from obadiah Elijah speaks much less, but seems far more steady. After Obadiah says, I'm not sure if I want to tell Ahab that you're coming. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Elijah says, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So from the example of Elijah here, we see an example of deep steadiness. And I think I used the phrase during the sermon we are offered through the good news of Jesus, evergreen wholeness. Right. In the face of alignment fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like fatigue. It's not particularly alignment <laughs> fatigue, but what, whatever floats your boat. Sure. Um, so r- references, moving to bar band cover tunes. You were very literary this week. Ah. Um, I see some, I, I, the one, the one quote that got, Kind of the only uh, audible laugh was your Shakespeare tangent. Oh, which part? <laughs> the or did he write all of them? Yeah, I feel like that was the only thing that got like audible laughter. Oh, fascinating. What, I, what did I, you I catch? That was more more esoteric. I, I'm not hearing many laughs at all because oh, people are seated and, and masked. Right. So yeah, I no that I, got... I rely on you for yeah. I was surprised. Are right, we have a high class audience? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> they said you was a high class. That was just I mean, they were laughing at that. They didn't laugh at the sports jokes. Okay, so what I'm hearing is more Shakespeare <laughs> more jokes. Shakespeare jokes, <laughs> at least from <laughs> what, I, what I always what I, what I always wanted. That is, that's not what's if it's not nerd culture. What is it? It's like it's like smart people culture. <laughs> Yeah, it's whatever the uncool version of nerd culture now is. Um, so, um, and then I, I know you've been reading this book from New Orleans that, um, that seemed to be a particular um, thought reference for you. Yeah. So whether it was the New Orleans history book recently written, maybe by, about 10 years ago by a guy named Ned Sublette, love New Orleans, love New Orleans history. Striking to me to learn that between French, British, and Spanish enslavers, uh, the French were by far the worst, apparently. And that's, and, and that's not to say <laughs> that uh, that British and, and Spanish were, were just great people when it came to slavery. Oh, yeah, they, they were they, awesome. Yeah, they, they, they were still enslavers, and there were plenty of bad examples there, too. But France, the most secular, was also the cruelest towards, towards slaves. Liberty fraternity equality not applying to to everybody yeah. so the french revolution had its own sets of blind spots and if, if right. human rights today 
seems to be more of a thing on the secular left, just using that as an example, that it was not always that way. Right. I, the French still have their issues surrounding that. Ha <laughs> ha. No, for real. Like... French people. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on. Um, I thought uh, you were joking. No, man. I'm serious. serious. Like the people with the, the uniforms and like not being able to be wear the sure. head, headdress. What is it called? The, bur- the Not the burqas, but the... The hijabs. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. like whole swaths of right, yeah, they immigrant they, they certainly have have their own sets of issues when it comes to right. these things, Macron, et cetera. Um, so you were quoting Flannery O'Connor. I was not quite quoting Flannery O'Connor. You were so, referencing so her. So I I was a little nervous about this. This this was from a book called called The Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge and. I had flagged this quote a while ago. I couldn't quite tell when I went back to the quote itself whether I was quoting Flannery <laughs> O'Connor or Fleming Rutledge or this other author named Mark Richard. So, <laughs> so you just threw them all in just in case. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, to cover all of my bases. But one of those authors said, the problem is that the biggest threat to your soul is you. That sounds like Flannery O'Connor personally, but sure. you didn't do the Googling. Uh, it was a busy week, baby. <laughs> so I just went with it. But now that we have this podcast, if I kind of fudge a reference tell a little the truth. bit, I, I can tell. Confession time. Fudge on Sunday. Tell the truth post Sunday. <laughs> so if the problem is the biggest threat to your soul is you, how does that apply to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't apply to me, obviously. Don't shoot the messenger on this one. No, I'm just kidding. It does. And if if the ethic of today, and this is another idea, so I, I feel like this is a relatively idea-rich period for my preaching right now, as in there's a lot of things during pandemic that I've been thinking about. If during pandemic was just trying to get through pandemic, and then we had focus very specifically on racial injustice and racism in, in Lent, this sermon series represents kind of an opening up of some of the things that have been knocking around my head where my headspace has been what I've been listening to reading uh, over a lot of months now. It's possible that you could say the ethic both uh, both on the right and on the left is that you just need to trust your heart, find your tribe, and don't hurt anybody. So for all of the huge differences between people on the right and on the left, the functional ethic, and I think, you know, that young people are imbibing in various ways, uh, just follow your heart. And that's not an incredibly new idea. It goes back to like ancient Gnosticism, etc. But has been gaining steam for millennia now. And I get there are some good aspects to, to follow your heart. And we're not on the side of, you know, repression, self-canceling, that sort of thing. <laughs> but I think a more nuanced view of Christianity would want to bring trust your heart, find your tribe, and to contact with an idea that the problem is that the biggest threat to your soul Might is be you. Within, right. And yeah. so if, if the heart is deceitfully wicked, should we just trust it carte blanche at the same time? Right. I think in personal experience, like your heart actually also is telling you the truth. Like your heart is telling you that you can't be, quite be trusted. Right. So you're I, really listening. Yeah. No, I, picture I, sense. I think that's true. Kind of the way that I would break that out and would be by way of the horizons of creation and fall. Mm -hmm. So as created beings, God made creation good. Trust your heart, follow your heart is good advice. And 
yeah, God, God made us to be people that have rational faculties, moral intuitions, need love. But then on the other side, we need to keep in mind that we're fallen. And so as I understand the trust your heart, find your tribe, don't hurt anybody, uh, there is, there's a lot more creation horizon than fallen horizon. And it's possible that in the history of the church, too, that there's been too much fallen horizon. Mm-hmm. The problem is you and not out of creation horizon. But we need to keep those two things. I was first going to say intention. But if Jesus is crucified and resurrected, to bring together the horizons of creation, fall, and redemption, they're not intention, but they're in balance. Sure. Um, yep, that's good. And now that I have teenagers, I can say, don't follow your heart. Follow your parents. Right. <laughs> do what your parents tell you to do. They know better than Following your heart is a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yesterday, for Mother's Day, my dad was showing a video of... Um, 21 year old Jim. That's right. When when they first met, it traveled all the way to Singapore. Young. You really, I should not have trusted my heart. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that you were given all the back and forth that you did. Yeah, that was a visit to Singapore when I had already asked you to marry me, but then was traveling all the way to where your parents were living in Singapore so that I could ask them again for your hand in marriage and so that they could say yes. I was sitting around one afternoon <laughs> in Singapore reading in the guest room and you came to me and said, my mom told me to tell you that my dad wants to see you now <laughs> to, to talk about that to was, talk about That marriage. was the biggest clue that we were too young. <laughs> or not the biggest. There were many other. That was just one of many signs. Right. But a video evidence was clear. Yes. And I will say that you look exactly the same. Blah, blah. <laughs> Always get the blah, blah. Um, yeah. Any other reference? You did have like, I don't know. This was a he- re- reference heavy week. But any other ones you want to specifically? For bar band cover tunes, two more. One, an uh, Atlantic article from 2016 saying the further one zooms out to whole societies in the course of global affairs, the more... Social media is marred by tribalism and mutual mistrust. And I mentioned in the sermon that, that was from October 2016. <laughs> and people had no idea how fragmented things would become. Facebook. After that. But yeah, that was a thing. Lots and of then popcorn reading. Mentioned, got, got some good 60s rock and roll in there. Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan and the band. Evergreen Wholeness gave me the idea to connect it with a famous bootleg of the complete basement tapes from Bob Dylan and the band in the late 1960s upstate New York. The house was big pink called A Tree with Roots. So when all of these other bands by the time of the 60s were coming to a close were trying to get as, as trippy, as out there, as experimental as possible in every possible way, Dylan and the band went in the other direction to find this deeply beautiful music that had endured through centuries. So it was a wedding present given to me, the complete basement tapes when they were finally released by, by Columbia. Maybe, but when I say wedding present, yeah, I was going to say, compensation. how do you... <laughs> it was a gift for officiating okay. a wedding. The, That's right. Yeah. But th- that would be great, like for my own <laughs> wedding. Hey, um, we, we got all of these CDs. They're great. Oh you know, who, who needs pots and pans? Cro- can, can you listen to a crock pot? The answer is no. start being your wedding that gift awesome. of choice to other people. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they need some music. Let's. Well, when I was in high school, for all of my, did, did you give friend, friends things for their birthdays in, in high school? I, yes, but 
select. Right. So Oh I, yeah, I know this. Story. I would give Bruce Springsteen CDs to all my friends in high school for their birthdays. Sometimes they were unopened and if they didn't open it, I would take the CD back within a couple of weeks and gift it to somebody else, but they were getting no other presents. So yeah, with the complete basement tapes, uh, thank you to the people that got it for me. It's awesome. I listened to it a good bit. They're like old sea shanties, old Irish drinking songs, uh, old hymns that seem startly fresh, whether they were heard and performed in the 1960s or now. So that's what God gives us an opportunity to be in Jesus, a, a tree with roots, both individually and collectively. Sure. So we're, God is, or we are a tree with roots instead of being Woody Allen. <laughs> Is that your, was that your last one? Or yeah, no, I did almost didn't. <laughs> I, I, I did mention Woody Allen on Sunday. It is a point of discussion in certain Should circles. Should we just not even say his name? Yeah, can Woody Allen even be mentioned or not? Okay. But it it fit the context well enough. that So just so people know, I am not endorsing the complete Woody Allen program by mentioning him once during a sermon. Thanks for that. <laughs> okay, guitar slim pickings, anything left? Leftovers? Right. So there was a, speaking of, you know, current surface level conversations, a, a little Mayor of Easttown reference there when I said. Oh, I was wondering, the, the Delco accent? Right, the Delco <laughs> accent thing. So Mayor of Easttown starring Kate Winslet, new show on HBO set in the eastern suburbs of Philly. And yeah. there, there have been multiple think pieces written about, hey, what is that Philly accent again? Why is it Water. so hard to capture? Water. Wawa and so many other things. So when I was talking about Acts 4 and 5 of Shakespearean plays being the aftermath, the ramifications, the denouement, I right. had Delco accents on my mind. And I thought, hey, if you would say denouement with a Delco accent, I'm pretty sure. I've never actually heard a Delco Del accent <laughs> say, say denouement, but I just think it would be denouement. Call up Kate Winslet. She can tell you. <laughs> That's right, Kate. Where are you? Yeah, the tangent being that we probably saw them filming in the Wissahickon. That's right. Uh, earlier during we pandemic. didn't actually see the filming, but we saw like the production trucks, ridiculous and number of production trucks, including one that got stuck, which caused us to not be able to. That was brutal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I think we. I think that was it. I can't yeah. imagine it being anything else. Helen Wolves, if if you see any angers pop up on Mary of Easttown, let us know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It, I would. I usually like watching things like that if I know that there's the space, but it doesn't sound like it'd be up my alley. Well, maybe we should. It's been a while since we've watched watched the show together, baby. Uh, I think this one's you and Josiah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Any other trivia? One other quick thing, and this is less trivial trivia, but. I really liked how at the end of our passage for this morning, there's this back and forth with Elijah and Ahab saying, you're a troubler of Israel. No, you're the troubler of Israel. And it's always a challenge or it's always a good challenge preaching Old Testament. How do you bring Jesus into the equation, into the story, into the sermon? And my, my through line to Jesus this Sunday was thinking about Christ as the fulfillment of the troubler of Israel. And I mentioned very briefly one verse from Luke 23, one verse from Matthew 26, where Jesus was on trial and being accused. And not the actual word or phrase troubler of Israel, but the concept was there when Jesus was uh, put to trial, the, the accusations against him 
uh, were that he was causing trouble, being a troubler for, for Israel. So through line from Elijah to Jesus by way of troubler of Israel. Right, right. Um, through lines of being a tree of living water also. Um, good stuff. Thank you for, um, thanks for <laughs> unpacking that. Why was I even, I was, you are I welcome. was sounding like I was going to close and I realized I have one more That's what piece. happens in sermons all the time. The when, awkward. When, when you think the sermon's yeah, sorry, finishing. Guys. It's but, not quite but over. The, it's, it's like the plane's <laughs> coming in for a landing and it's like, oh no, the pilot's pulling up. What's going on right now? I thought right. the sermon was over. Right. There's no. still words. Apologies. Why are there still words? <laughs> So we have words from someone besides ourselves. Helen Wolf wrote in actually two weeks ago, and somehow this email got stuck in the promotions tab of our, so the of our emails of post.ablues at gmail.com, um, which we did not check. Um, the promotions tab. Not sure why we didn't. Um, <laughs> but this person wrote, Hi, Jim and Emily. It was so good to come to church and on Sunday and see your faces and so many others in the flesh. Jim had a certain energy and enthusiasm. You may as well have been radioactively glowing. That had not been present in the strictly live stream services. Hmm. It was fun. That's true. You did, yeah. Hmm. This week, well, maybe, maybe so. Um, he's mentioned more than once how odd it has been for him preaching to a mostly empty sanctuary. So I imagine how rejuvenating it must have been. Um, it did feel good. It, yeah, it still feels so. weird, though, right? Like now preaching to people in every other pew and mark like marketed by like family pods. <laughs> True, better than before. Yeah, my girls can no longer sit with their friends. That's mm. that's one sadness. Anyways, here we go. As we started following Elijah and First Kings, I've enjoyed some background in the post Sunday blues, pointing out the contrast. Um, of Baal, the false god of thunder and storms, and Yahweh, the god of Israel. I've been slowly going through a book called Open and Unafraid, which discusses the Psalms as a guide to life, and last week I read a chapter titled Death. In this chapter, the author brings up another comparison to Yahweh and Baal that makes this week's sermon all the more enriched for me. And she's quoting here, Unlike Baal's battle with Mott, in Canaanite, the or Canaanite theology, which ends in a stalemate, in Israel's theology, God remains sovereign over death. Yahweh's power over life is from everlasting to everlasting. It's awesome to learn more about how specifically God makes himself known to this Canaanite woman. It's always cool to hear how God has met people I know, too. So I'm curious if either Jim or Emily have stories of God meeting you in surprisingly specific ways that you could share. Yes, and so we are going to press pause on that and tease for next week because Ooh. that's going to be a one of the main thrusts of the sermon this coming Sunday and during the sermon I'm going to ask people to write in about where they've seen God show up and God meet them in their own lives so I have a couple of thoughts we will hold off until next week awesome um so stories of God how God has revealed himself to you and if he hasn't like maybe that's a moment to contemplate praying and thinking this week through this like where you are in the elijah obadiah and um ahab yeah. triad um any last thoughts one other thing uh verbal helen wolf on sunday i got feedback from the sanctuary on sunday morning about the podcast i, I told this person 
Hey, only over text or email. I, I don't discuss the podcast in person, <laughs> but he went forward anyway and said that he liked the one-offs of the preacher yeah, origin stories, yeah. but, but then also said, what about for, call it change-ups, if this is our bread and butter or Model A here, um, what, what about another idea for one-offs where they can be topical, other topical discussions of preaching and something else. So he mentioned preaching and use of church history, preaching and apologetics. So like preaching applied to a certain topic Mm -hmm. or scene through a certain prism. I'm game. Sure. That might be someone like with someone else interviewing you, to be honest. It could be. Yeah. Just again, changing it up. Yeah. Also because I just, I don't feel like I have the like, bandwidth to be able to explore church histories you have mad mojo all the way around i can or it or it could be the the paul bettany so we're using GarageBand to to record this maybe maybe it could be me on two different mics as a self-interview good luck with that sometimes jumping the shark is exactly what uh media i don't like listening to people i mean i know we joked about it before but i don't I do not prefer podcasts where it's a solo person. Right. Well, what I envision is not a solo person, but me with yeah. two mics. When I'm asking myself questions. I'm I'm giving I'm giving compliments to myself, giving softball questions. So it would be totally different than a okay. solo podcast. Go for it, dude. I will. <laughs> with that, um, I think that's it, right? Yeah. Rate, yeah. review, subscribe, post Sunday blues, gmail.com, share with friends, tell your neighbors. Thanks for listening, guys. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Yep, just just two people in the room. So no no banter this time. No, there needs to be banter, but have you started recording? No. I feel